Have you heard of anyone talk about crash-proof investments during this recent dip in the market? Historically, that term is referencing either treasury bonds, gold, certain industries, or stocks, or various different types of assets. So how have these types of investments performed during times of higher volatility? And should we be investing them in them? Are they really crash-proof? That's what we find out today on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We have a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you have a question you want us to answer here on the podcast, just send an email to podcast at Mach1FG.com. If you want to learn more about your financial future, you can schedule a free consultation with any of our advisors here at Mach 1 with absolutely no obligation. Just head to Mach1FG.com for more information. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. Today we are recording episode 89 and today we're asking, do so-called crash-proof investments really exist? The so-called, and I, I use air quotes here, <laughs> experts on the internet uh, would have you to believe that the answer is, especially with the emergence of cryptocurrency, is true. So um, let's take a quick, quick listen before we jump in today, some of these predictions about Bitcoin. I believe Bitcoin will be at $100,000 by the end of the year. The most realistic price range for me to exit out of most of my cryptocurrency is when Bitcoin hits the $120,000 range end of 2021, beginning of 2022, because that's how we had the previous market cycles play out. I believe I know what's going to happen with crypto in 2022. Bitcoin may hit $150,000. Still getting a lot of questions from everybody as to where Bitcoin is going. There's still a lot of negative sentiment. And I'm just going to decide to make the case of why I believe Bitcoin can go to a million dollars. This guy still lives with his mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just that just that voice alone should uh, cue you in that that's probably not the guy you want to listen to. Yeah. The other cue, uh, those are great quotes. I'm glad you found those, Matt Hager, uh, who produces this show every day. So thank you for finding those. The other thing that I think is interesting about that quote, you know, when he says, I believe I know what's going to happen with crypto. Anytime someone leads with that when they're talking about an investment, you should probably run. Yeah, we talk about it all the time with somebody. You know, we and we get questions like, well, where do you think the market's going to be in six months, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's just impossible. So getting into the prediction game, especially in the short term, is a waste of everybody's time. It really is. But it, it is funny when you look, when you see some of the, you know, like with Bitcoin and, you know, see some of these kind of outlandish predictions. Um, I don't know. I get a little bit of satisfaction when they don't come true and listening back on them i'm not gonna lie but yeah and who knows i mean maybe six months from now maybe some of these predictions will be right but yeah i, I doubt it that's my that's my guess but who knows um and we're just using of course today bitcoin or cryptocurrency 
as an example, we're going to talk about other so-called crash-proof investments, but obviously the truth is there is no so there is no such thing as a crash-proof investment. But um, before we get into all that, I also want to mention this. Uh, as we record this, you know, we just had the Super Bowl uh, last night, and did you guys notice? I mean, like every other advertisement last night, it seemed like it was either an ad for an electric vehicle or cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I scanned the QR code. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many of you listened, saw that crypto uh, or they, uh, not Coinbase. crypto. The coin, yeah, it was Coinbase. They had the uh, QR code bouncing around the screen. That was pretty, pretty brilliant ad, actually. Yeah. I mean, well, just, I, I scanned it. It tells you how much money there is behind That's right. going to get, to force or try to um, encourage the adoption. That's right. And the use, right? And exactly. it's not... They they need and want more people to yeah. adopt and to use crypto and I mean it's like same any thing other with electric vehicles too. We were yeah. just talking about that before right. the show, right? They need and want people to adopt electric vehicles. Um, there's still, I mean, I don't know about you guys that are out there listening, but I mean, think about it. Do you know a lot of people that are just itching to go buy an electric vehicle? I don't. And even if they did, if, if all of a sudden everybody went out and bought an electric vehicle, we'd have a massive problem on our hands because we don't have the we don't have we don't have the infrastructure to support them. But yet right. you see in the Super Bowl, every other ad is an electric vehicle, just like every other ad is for crypto. And so to your point, Matt, and I think it's a great point there, the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, are trying to push a certain agenda and push a certain um thing that they're wanting you to adopt Mm -hmm. generally a good rule of thumb is if someone's making an outlandish prediction and then it follows with buy my course or (laughs) yeah yeah go to my website that's a good point there's a reason there's a reason for that there's a reason for that that's actually a really good point so going back to i think those are all really good points going back to though what we're talking about today crash proof investments right i don't i don't know if bitcoin i don't know if crash proof is the right because a lot of people say that but 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 it has been used as like a hedge, right? Like yeah. it's an inflationary hedge, yeah. or it's gonna it's gonna perform well when the market doesn't perform well, or you you've heard a bunch of different things. And so, you know, does it provide this layer of protection? You the same, you know, more of a historical example is gold, right? Yeah. Like, how should I own gold? Should I own silver? Should I own U.S. Treasuries? Should I own real estate? And like, how do these various asset classes perform? And are they do they perform well during periods of crisis and, and crashes in the, the stock market? Do they actually provide the level of protection that we would hope? And what, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think Eli is going to share some stats with us on just kind of different points in time of how those perform. So, Eli, let's talk through some of the more kind of extreme examples that you want to, to touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just some of the categories that you touched on, Matt. I, I broke it into to four different areas. One of them is government bonds. One of them stocks, traditionally healthcare, utilities, consumer staples, those type of uh, sectors within stocks that people believe are a little bit more hedged against downfalls. And then gold, and then I, I put Bitcoin on here, but the two time periods that we use to, to analyze this is it from 2000, October 8th, 2008 to March 2nd, 2009, and then also a short time frame in February 19th. Through March 23rd of 2020, so the the recent COVID. so like the so peak to trough the financial crisis and peak to trough the COVID sell off yes basically yeah okay and I'm just looking at the down when the market was down how did these yeah. respond and so bonds actually in the markets when when it's down bonds responded well there's in in 2020 the long term bonds went up to 11.96 
percent. So that I mean that's a solid return just in that one month time frame. Now there's things to that we'll discuss about that later. But then in the healthcare, utilities, and consumer staples, those stocks, all three of them were down. Not to the extent that the market was down in those time periods, but they were down. Healthcare in 2008 was down 23.5 percent. In 2020, 22.24 percent. Lots of numbers, but they're all down. Gold in 2020 actually fell when the market fell. In 2008, I wasn't able to find the specifics on how much, but it, it did fall. But there was periods of it rising, so that it, it's hard to time it, but there, it's there. And then Bitcoin in 2020 fell just the same. It fell 35%. Yeah, basically the same. Bitcoin specifically fell yeah. basically the same as in the In line market. with the market. In line with the market, yeah. yeah. So, and that brings up a great point. You know, we've, we've talked about this probably before in previous episodes, but, you know, theoretically, you've got all these different asset classes, stocks, bonds, uh, real estate. Um, utilities, which is a certain category of stock, um, precious metals like gold and silver, and now we've got crypto is almost a totally new and unique asset class. And theoretically, all these asset classes are not correlated to the market, uh, or the ones that aren't stocks are not correlated to the market. However, um, what oftentimes happen happens as this data set pretty well shows, they they tend to be more correlated than most people would think to the market. And so that's why we're saying there is no such thing as a crash proof investment. Right. And yeah. And even if you have some, you know, buffer because it maybe one asset class that you own doesn't sell off as much as another, right. It's typically like one of the better case scenarios is that it just stays relatively flat. Like if you're part of your portfolio drops 40% and let's say you have a 50, 50 allocation, Right. It's I don't know if you could go back and find anything where there was a direct inverse correlation and the other part of the portfolio grew by 40 percent to offset the losses completely. You know, most of the time it's like, hey, this part just kind of stayed relatively yeah, flat. Maybe exactly. it was up or down a little bit. This part sold off. Yeah. So it's like, well, how much protection did this really provide you, especially if it's not giving you a decent rate of return all the while while you own it? Exactly. Right? And exactly. so. Um, and that, bonds were a perfect example of that, but with the data set that you just quoted there in 2008, right? They bonds long term or immediate intermediate term bonds did go up two or three percentage points, but compared to what? Compared to the market that went down 50. Yeah. So it, did it really provide a lot of a lot of protection? Probably not, unless you timed it perfectly and you put moved all of your assets out of stocks into bonds at the right time and then timed it perfectly again on the other end of that. And we all know. That that's impossible you can't time the market yeah so why why do you think i guess it's times like this in the market right january was kind of a rough month yeah i mean the big scheme of things it was a very very normal month yeah. in the market but it was more volatility than we've seen in a little while yeah so we've we've had a lot of questions around you know what are you guys thinking why do you think um why do you think we get so many questions when we see just a little bit of volatility like what, like, what are it, people wanting yeah i think I think there's a couple of things that's going on. Um, you know, we have had a decent amount of calls and questions and concerns with this 10% pullback. I think there's two factors as I look at this. Number one is we had such a long run up that people get kind of lulled into the sense that the market just goes up and they almost forget that corrections happen. But the other thing, and I think this can't be, uh, underestimated this factor because I just thought of this earlier today and I think there's something to it 
because the market did go up so far, a 10% correction dollar-wise is a bigger correction than anyone's ever seen in their Absolutely. accounts before, yeah, sure. right? Because your accounts are up higher than they've ever been. A 10% correction feels on a dollar figure basis worse it's than, more of a, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, no, that's interesting that you point that because it's, I always get a chuckle out of people that still use points to, to see how much the Dow is sold off, right? Because yeah. it's like, it's what they did 10 or 15 years ago. It's like, oh, the Dow's down, you know, sold off 300 points. Yeah. It's like, well, that meant a heck of a lot more 15 years ago <laughs> right. than it does today. Yeah, it needed to so be on 3,000 would be the equivalent of what it was, what yeah. 300 would have been, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. So you, yeah, the, that's an interesting point. The, the counts are larger. So 10%, it feels a lot, it's a bigger dollar value. A bigger dollar value, but you have to, uh, I had a, I had a client, uh, I, I think he'll be listening to this because he tells me he listens to every podcast and I'm going to steal a phrase from him. His, his name is Greg. And he said, when in doubt, zoom out. Yeah. I thought that was such a great phrase to use. In other words, he was saying, yeah, I mean, the last month hasn't been great, but zoom out. Look yeah. at what's happened over the last two, three, four, five years. And it's been really, if really you've been good. Invested, you're far beyond where you were. Yeah. Just a few years ago. Yeah. So when in yeah. doubt, zoom out. No, that's, that's great, good. That's a great one to remember. It is for sure. Um, so what, so what are the alternatives, right? We're trying to clients and, you know, advisors, us, other advisors out there, we're trying to help people build a portfolio, invest in a way that helps them meet their objectives, right? Get the returns they need to get while managing their risk. So modern portfolio theory, diversification, put your money in a bunch of different things because, you know, let's hope that some of them do well when others do poorly. That's kind of where yeah. most people, that's how they invest. You know, the alternatives out there and what what we really spend a lot of time teaching people about and talking on, you know, is hedging and, you know, the unique benefits that, that you know, hedging and using a derivative to manage the risk within a portfolio can provide someone. So let's let's touch on that a little bit, David. Yeah. Can you? Well, so let's compare it to investing in real estate. You know, in my mind, the um, using just diversification alone as a way to protect your investments would be sort of like saying, well, let's just go buy, uh, you know, a whole bunch of houses. We're going to buy some nursing homes. We're going to buy some hospitals. We're going to buy this, that, and the other. Um, and then not buying any insurance property, uh, property insurance on any of those properties, right? You're just saying, well, we're, we got it diversified. There's the tornado can't hit all those properties at the same time or a fire or a flood or an earthquake can't hit all those properties at the same time because they're geographically distributed. So we're safe. Well, no, you're not right. If, if a flood or if a tornado took out one of those properties, you know, wiped it to the ground, the only way you could protect yourself there is if you had some sort of property insurance, like a homeowner's insurance po policy. So we do believe in diversification or what, what Matt referred to as modern portfolio theory, where you diversify, you buy a whole bunch of different things. In fact, there's a, there's a verse on this that, uh, that I'll use as today's thought of the day. So make sure you hang around for that. That proves that diversification is wise you should do it. You should spread your assets around. But does that mean that, that that's the only thing you should do? In our opinion, no. Just like you wouldn't just buy a whole bunch of properties if you want to diversify in real estate, you would also buy a hedge on each one of those properties. Mm -hmm. And one of the things to think about is there's, there's two different types of risk that we're talking about when we're talking about diversifying. One is systematic and one is unsystematic. 
when we're talking about systematic, we're talking about the entire market as a whole. What we do when we diversify is for unsystematic inflation and and smaller factors. But once we start getting into looking at the entire market as a whole, there's there's only so much you can do to hedge against the entire market. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're relying on certain assets to do well, when others do poorly, right, it's it's um, it's kind of hoping for not that broader market, you know, systematic risk, systemic risk. That just kind of crushes everything. And with a derivative, we're not going to get into the fine, you know, fine details of all of this today. But with a derivative, you know, you're utilizing uh, an asset that that derives its pr- price on the underlying asset itself, right? right? So it so it's mathematically perfectly negatively correlated. It's yeah, it's perfectly it's negatively negative correlated depending on how you use it. So if the price of this goes down, then the derivative. Mathematically if, if has to go right, up. Has to go up. Like right. it's directly inversely correlated. So we're not hoping for we're not hoping kind of the right environment. And That's the right, right. And so we're directly buying a hedge on the asset that we own. And so that's just a different level of protection. And so when that's we're talking right. about crash proof investing or hedging or how do we manage risk, right? There's different ways to do it. I think we would all agree on that. And there's different benefits to all of it. Yep. Diversification, it's biblical, like dates like there's value to it. <laughs> But just relying on that and that alone, um, you know, we just don't think that goes far enough for most retirees, most people looking to invest and protect what mm-hmm. they built. Now, David, when I read the stats in February to March, the, the long-term bonds went up 11.96%. Yeah. So why should I not invest well, in Well, because you would have had to have, you know, we kind of addressed this earlier, that you would have had to have timed it just right, right? Because what have bonds done pretty much since then? As the Fed has, you know, as the Fed cuts rates, those bonds, uh, bond values uh, go go up, and as they increase rates, bond values are going to go down. So now, you know, we're in this environment where the Fed is talking about raising rates, and what have we been seeing bonds do? How have bonds responded in the face of the the threat of rising interest rates? Well, they're going down. All time lows. Yeah. So you would have. So even though long-term bonds, yes, went up in the crash of March of 2020, the COVID shutdown, whatever you want to call it, you would have had to have timed it perfectly right for that to have benefited you. And it's just, it's just impossible. There's no other way to say it. It is just impossible to do that right every time. And we're not market timers. Yeah. We're not day traders. That's right. We're long-term investors. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was pulling up a couple of charts here, and like like Vanguard long-term bond ETF is just one I pulled up, you know, and it was up slightly over a specific period of time, but um, I mean it's down ever since. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and as we've talked about in the past, like with rate expectations and that, I mean, that's all that pr- pricing pressure is only mm-hmm. going to continue on that. So again, it's not that the, it's not that bonds are bad. Right. And it's not that bonds have never been good. Right. Or it's not that they can't be good again in the future. We think it's a really tough environment and yep. we think solely relying on those as the counterbalance to the other parts of your portfolio, there's a lot tough. of flaws and a lot of holes that you can poke in that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, some of you, if you, some of you listening, if you watch the market closely, you may even remember during the COVID crunch, uh, February, March, 2020, I want to say it was Bill Ackman, if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember? You may help me out here, Matt. The guy that bought the big put option against the market. During, yeah, yeah, Ackman. That was Ackman, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, 
his timing was pretty. Yeah, pretty he knows awesome. stuff we don't he knows know. <laughs> I think he has some access to some information. Yeah, but but here again, though, I mean, it is interesting that you know that's what they decided. So it's not like he said, "Hey, let's go buy a bunch of bonds." Right when yeah. the market was starting to go down, he said, "We're gonna let's go buy a giant yeah. put option against the market." Yeah. Yeah, again, it's finding that that true protection for the asset that you own. That's right. And so, um, great way to protect is like we've talked about. So, uh, any final before David gives us our thought of the day, any final thoughts or comments? I just, you know, I just want to reiterate that there is no such thing as a crash-proof investment. Right. Um, you can't uh, put your faith in any single investment asset or investment asset class and think that that's going to be your ticket to financial freedom. Like, unfortunately, I do believe that a lot of people are getting sucked into this whole Bitcoin thing and thinking that it's going to be the ticket to wealth and riches. And, it, and I just, I continue to believe that it, it is going to be far from it, far mm-hmm. from it. Um, and I did find it humorous seeing all the commercials yesterday. There, there was a really good one on yesterday. Um, it was uh, Larry David, the creator of Seinfeld. He was going all the way back, you know, talking about all these different inventions like the wheel and the Constitution. And I can't remember all how many different things they looked at. And he kept, you know, naysaying it and saying it was ah, not a good idea, not a good idea. And uh, and then they got to crypto and he was like, oh, not a good idea. And he said, and I, trust me, I've been right on this every time. <laughs> you know, when the commercial obviously showed that he had been wrong every time. And I looked at that and I thought, man. I, you know, my personal belief is that is so misleading. You know, it's making people think that that crypto is a can't miss investment opportunity, and you're stupid if you're not getting in on it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there were there was I mean think about how much money was spent last night in Super Bowl TV ads promoting cryptocurrency. Mm. That was uh, no telling how much. Yeah. It was a ton. Big number. Yeah. <laughs> Big number for sure. Eli, any any final words or? Well, I would just I would just question who wins by people yeah. investing in crypto. That's right. Who exactly? Yeah, that's one we can. About. Yeah, that's one we can end on there. David, you've got our final, yeah, final thought, thought of the day. I kind of alluded to this earlier. You, if you've been a long time listener, you might have heard me quote this before. But this uh, kind of goes to the whole theme of what we talked about today. That uh, the the best thing to do when it comes to investing is to spread it out, to diversify, to invest in a whole bunch of different things. And yes, we also believe on top of diversification, we personally believe in hedging as well. But the verse that goes with this is Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. The translation that I like says, cast your bread upon many waters, and after many days, that's key, after many days you will receive a return. Invest in seven or eight ventures, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So again, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So it shows the age-old wisdom of spreading your assets out. That's what he means by cast your bread upon many waters. Invest in a whole bunch of different things because you don't know which one's going to work and which one's not. And you don't want to try to get uh, lulled into the natural temptation of trying to time which is going to work and when. You can't do that. We're we're all... Uh, uh, mortal human beings with a finite, uh, limited view of the future. We can't know the future, so we diversify and hedge, and that is the, in our opinion, that is the best path to success. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys uh, listening today, and we look forward to you joining us next time. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com slash disclosures.